Good morning, everyone. Once more, welcome all of you. Welcome those of you in the overflow. Welcome Franklin Campus. Welcome Perry, Oklahoma. Uh, we love you guys so much. Uh, open your Bibles together. First Corinthians chapter 13. This is the second message in a series entitled, All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. And for this message, we're looking very specifically at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's often called the love chapter because it is all about love. It's all about love. But it's probably not about love in the way you think it ought to be about love. If you think that 1 Corinthians 13 reads like a Hallmark card, either you haven't read a lot of Hallmark cards or you haven't read the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 would only be like a Hallmark card if Hallmark cards always told the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is really all about love, but it's the truth about love. That means there aren't any feeling words whatsoever. Those of you who come into this thinking that love is primarily about the way I feel about you, you're wrong. And 1 Corinthians 13 will help correct that misperception on your part. Love is not how I feel about you. Love is how I treat you. Love has to do with how we treat one another, not feel, but treat. And so you'll notice that all of the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 are action words, verbs, how love acts, not about how love feels. We defined love last week as a power. Remember the definition? Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships to give without getting something back. Love is power in everyday relationships to give without getting something back. That definition comes from a scriptural, a picture of God and his love for us and how he acts toward us, those that he loves. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to jump in this morning in in verse 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter again for you. We're going to just start picking this down in in bite-sized pieces. Honestly, this whole series is just one long sermon because we're really only dealing with one passage. So I'll start and then I'll just stop abruptly uh, when, when we get to the end and we'll pick up in, in, the, in the place where we leave off at the next message tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 1. I'll pay close attention to verse 4. That's our preaching text for today. Listen uh, to what love is. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in tongues and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, 
I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, say the word, love. Yeah, love, take your seats. Back to verse four with me. Love is patient. New Living Translation says patient. I said that this really doesn't read like a Hallmark card because I promise you Hallmark cards wouldn't start like this. Now, when you think of the word patient, what do you think of? What is patience? What is patience? You're thinking it's the ability to to wait a long time. Patience waits a long time. So when you say love is patient, you must be thinking that we're talking about the ability to to wait. And and there is that that element involved in what Paul is saying here. But but honestly, you probably need to go back to the King James translation or honestly back to the Greek, the language that Paul wrote in, to really get the feeling for what he's saying here. Because honestly, this is not the way you expect a love song to start. If you're talking about what love is and you want to inspire people, you probably wouldn't start the way Paul starts right here. Love is patient, New Living says. Anybody have a King James in the house? What's the King James Version say? What's it say, Shane? Yeah, love is long-suffering. Now, we're getting warmer there, and literally that's the word that Paul uses. Love suffers long. Now, I remind you, you'll never find a Hallmark card. You're never going to get a Valentine that says love hurts like that. You're never going to get a Valentine that says love puts up with a whole lot of crud, but that's exactly how Paul starts this. That's the way he starts his description of what love does. Love puts up with a whole lot. Love suffers long. The word there that he uses has something to do with anger. It's the idea of being being long-tempered. You ever known anybody who was short-tempered? Yeah, go ahead. You can do this if you want. The person next to you. Uh, love is short. Uh, lo- love is long tempered, Paul says. It's the picture of having a long fuse. Have you ever known anybody that had a short fuse? A short fuse person? What do we mean by that? Well, that person's got a short fuse. What do we mean by that? Yeah, before you know it, poof, they've exploded on you. You just had no idea. They're just sort of ready poof, to explode. It's a short fuse. The picture here that Paul gives us is love has this long fuse. Love has this long temper. Love has this incredible capacity to suffer long. Why would he start that way? Again, honestly, if you were writing a song about love, you would say love is rainbows and and love is unicorns and flowers and, and, and love is amazing. You would say stuff like that. Paul wastes no time with stuff like that. Paul comes right out of the chute and says love suffers long. Why would he say that? Because let's be real, real honest here. Life is full of suffering. Jesus himself said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Life is full of trouble. It just is. And so if there is a power in the universe, a power that comes from God, if there is a power that gives us ourselves the power, the capacity to suffer long, then understand that would be a 
a precious gift for life. That would be a minor miracle. That ability to suffer long. Love suffers long. It's exactly why some of you aren't living a life of love right now. You found this out early. You know that love causes us to move close enough to other people so that they actually can hurt us if they choose to. And and if you haven't learned this yet, learn it from me today. There are people in the world who will hurt you. There will people who will use love language in relationship with you, but then they will turn right around and they will hurt you. There are people who will hurt you and they intend to hurt you. There are so also people in the world who will hurt you, and, and they honestly don't mean to hurt you. But one way or the other, you get hurt. And love always leaves us vulnerable to pain. It just does. There is absolutely no way to love a person in such a way where they have no ability to hurt you. Love itself draws you close, moves you close to people. And the closer you get to people, the more likely they're going to start bumping into you. Love is going to leave you vulnerable to pain. It's just going to happen. And many of you have learned this and you know this. And so you've made this deliberate choice never to get close to anybody again. And this is now your way of living life. You're just going to live your life always at a distance. You may be neighborly to folks. You may throw up your hand and wave. But you're never, ever going to get close enough to people so that they could actually hurt you again. You refuse to be hurt. I think I understand why you make that choice. But do you understand that when you make that choice, you're also making the choice that you'll never be loved? If you're going to live your life in such a way where nobody can ever hurt you, if you're going to hold your own heart in such a way where it can never be broken, then you've got to listen to me. You're never going to be loved. Love always involves the danger of pain. It always leaves us vulnerable to getting hurt. There's no way around this. Love suffers long. But now, let me just talk to you. There was probably a time in my life when I would have preached this, and I would have preached it in a very different way than the way I'm about to preach it. But I want you to understand something. I want you to understand something that's true. The Bible says love suffers long, and that is true. Love puts up with a lot. Love can take a whole lot of your crud. It really, really can. It puts up with a lot. That's what the scripture says. The scripture says plainly, love suffers long. But that does not mean that love suffers forever. It does not mean that love is going to suffer endlessly. And I think this is important. And this is what I'm saying. There was probably a time 20 years ago when I would not have seen that. I would not have preached that. I would have simply said love suffers long and left it at that. But if I did that, I would be saying something not exactly true about what the Scripture says. The Scripture says it suffers long. It does not say that love suffers forever. In other words, there is a time in relationship, a time in a genuine loving relationship when you might actually have to redraw the boundaries in such a way that you no longer get hurt anymore. There will come a time when you may need to redefine the relationship in such a way where you are no longer going to be the punching bag for this person. And I believe it's biblical to say that love suffers long, but it need not suffer forever. 
I say this because when I read 1 Corinthians 13 and my preparation for this message, I try to take 1 Corinthians 13 and then lay that alongside everything else I see in Scripture. And honestly, God himself is love, Scripture says. And God is the source of love anywhere you see love. That tells me that if I really want to know about the long-suffering nature of love, I need to look at God. And I see in Scripture, I know from, from, from reading and praying and just simply learning to know God, that God's heart does break. The fact that God loves the world means that God suffers. God's great heart is more broken than any heart you can ever imagine simply because of his love. When God wanted to show the depths, the, the, the power of his love, what did he give us? A valentine? No. God gives us himself hanging bleeding on a cross. God knows that love brings suffering. And God himself is long-suffering. But understand something very, very clear from Scripture. While God will suffer a long, long time the evil of the world, while God will suffer a long, long time the rejection of the world that he loves, he will not suffer forever. It's plain in Scripture. Turn back. Open your Bibles. Turn back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. This is the introduction to the story of Noah and the flood. And what does God say right there when he sees that people are so wicked? The Scripture says that all they do is think about evil. All they do is try to imagine new ways to be wicked. And God says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, my spirit is not always going to deal with people. People, my spirit is not always going to put up with people. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God says that. I'll put up with a lot, and I'll put up with people for a long, long time, but my spirit is not always going to put up with people. Interesting. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Once more, it's a passage in Scripture that's talking about the wickedness of people. You cannot talk about the wickedness, the sin of the human race, without also simultaneously talking about pain in the heart of God. Sin is rejection of God and His love. There's no way around it. Sin is to reject God and His love. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 talks about the wickedness of Jews and Gentiles alike. And what does the scripture say that God has done? There are people that have gone so far in their wickedness that God gives them up. Read it. God gives them up. Absolutely. So while God himself is perfect love, while God himself is the perfect picture of love suffering long, God also is the living example of the way that while love suffers a long, long time, it doesn't suffer endlessly. There is a point where love no longer has to put up with rejection. Love no longer has to put up with abuse. Love suffers a long time, but not forever. Okay, I know you people now. I I know you actually very, very well. So now you're thinking, okay, well, how long? How long? Because you're ready to turn it off right now, aren't you? Some of you right here in this house are in a relationship that's very, very difficult, and you're thinking, I just gave you your ticket. You're thinking, I've just given you your great excuse to throw this person under the bus. You're thinking, I've just given you the reason to walk out of this marriage. You're thinking, you now have ammunition from the preacher. To walk right out of this relationship, to turn off the suffering, and I've not given you that. Let's stop. Let's think. Let's talk. 
I've said that love suffers long, and it does. I've also said love doesn't suffer forever. I think that's biblical. So now you're asking, so how long does it suffer? How long do I have to put up with this stuff? Well, a long time. Love suffers long. Let's just say a long time. Let's say longer than anybody else in creation ever would. Love suffers long. You're going to have to suffer a long time. Let's say longer than you ever thought possible. Let's say a long time. Because of what Scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, you go underline it, you need this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, talking about God's long-suffering, talking about God's patience. And what does the scripture say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? That God's patience gives people time to be saved. God's patience, the, the fact that God puts up with so much from us, the fact that God is so long-suffering, God's long-suffering love gives us time to be saved. This is what I'm asking you. This is what Scripture is commanding you in, in your relationships. You just need to accept the fact that love is going to bring suffering. It, it's going to bring difficulty. It's going to be hard. It's going to be harder than you ever imagined. And you're going to hurt like you never imagined possible. But love gives you that power. In that everyday relationship, love gives you that power to suffer long. A long, long time. Longer than anybody else ever would. Longer than you ever imagined. But love gives you that ability to take it for a long, long time. To put up with it for a long, long time. Love gives you that ability to endure that pain. So before you turn it off, but before you walk away, I just want to remind you that God himself has that kind of patience and long-suffering with you. And in your life, you have been the recipient of such long-suffering grace from God. And his long-suffering has given you the opportunity to learn how to love and to learn how to love him and to learn how to love everybody else. The fact that God has given you this time means that you've had time to change, time to come to salvation, time to learn to know the ways of love and how to walk in them. Do you understand? That's what God's love does. And that's what God's love is going to do in you and through you. You've got to love long enough so people have time. People need time to change. People need time to, to, to turn around. People need an opportunity sometimes to learn how to love. And love creates that space. It creates that time for other people to change. I'm saying it suffers a long, long time. It creates that opportunity for people to finally turn around and return love. I think most marriages that end in divorce today, people walk away and give up way too early. Way too early. I've said you don't have to suffer forever. There may come a time when God will literally release you from this marriage, but I'm telling you, it's probably not yet. Probably not yet. Love suffers long. So before you decide yourself to turn it off, before you yourself decide to throw it away, before you yourself decide that you've had enough, you've really got to stop and examine your heart and make sure you haven't lost contact with love. 
You make sure you haven't lost contact with love. I'm not talking about feelings for somebody. I'm talking about the power of God in your life that makes you able to give without expecting something back. Let's make sure you haven't lost contact with love in your heart. Not feelings, power. Before you turn it off, you make sure you haven't lost contact with love altogether. If you're thinking about turning off love, if you're thinking that you've had enough and you're going to walk away, let's make sure you're doing this out of love and not out of your own convenience. Not simply out of the flesh because you're tired. Not simply because you're worn out or you're fed up or you think there's somebody better out there for you. You listen to me. Before you walk away, you make sure you haven't lost contact with love. Because love suffers a long, long time. Love suffers long. And it's kind. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't even know what you think of when you use the word kind. I'm thinking you're probably picturing Barney the dinosaur or Captain Kangaroo or, or something like that. Our picture of kind is actually very, very weak. But the word that Paul uses here again, this is not a weak word. It's actually not a passive word. It's a very, very strong word. And kindness is the, is the closest English word we have, but it's not a good word for it. The word that Paul uses is crestus. It's actually a combination of, of, of goodness, of, of what we would call kindness, but also utility or, or usefulness. This is a, a word that goes to work. Do you understand? This actually is a word that was often used as a slave name in the Roman Empire very, very frequently because it combines all of the positive qualities with this ability or this knowledge of how to go to work and do the right thing. So actually, when Paul says love is kind, he's, he's combining ideas for us. It's not just the idea that you might want to be good to people. It's the idea that you want to give what people need. That somehow your, your actions, your, your, your giving to people is always going to be very, very appropriate. It's as if you always know exactly how to scratch where they itch. Do you understand? If love is a power to give without getting anything back, kindness we're talking about is that, that wisdom, that tendency to always somehow know to give exactly what is needed, exactly what is necessary. That's kindness. That's just kindness. Even if you talk about random acts of kindness, you're still talking about trying to provide a service, trying to give what people actually need and want. A drink of cold water on a hot day, that sort of thing. Do you understand? Kindness is giving somehow precisely what is needed, precisely what is necessary. And love is always kind. Now, like everything else that has to do with love, you're probably learning by now, kindness involves risk. Always involves risk. The first risk is that people are going to misunderstand your kindness or misinterpret your, your kindness. You're a man and you see a woman who's struggling and you want to be kind. You want to go help her carry her load. But the first thing that pops into your mind is what? If I approach this woman, she's going to think that, that I'm making some sort of romantic gesture toward her. She's going to think that I'm flirting with her if, if I'm just nice. People are perhaps going to misunderstand your kindness. You always run that risk. There was a man one day who was at the mall. And he decided to open the door for a woman he didn't know. And so he just opened the door and stood back. And the woman said, huh, you opening that door just because you think I'm a woman? 
You think I'm a woman and I can't open my own door? I'd have slammed that door on her. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) This guy, this guy said, ma'am, I'm not opening the door because you're a woman. I open the door because I'm a gentleman. I like that. She misunderstood his kindness. She thought he was doing something sinister, something wrong, something that somehow was an insult to her. He was just simply trying to show kindness. But every time you show kindness, there is, of course, the possibility that you're going to be misunderstood. Your kindness will be misinterpreted, and I'm telling you, that goes with it. People may misunderstand your kind gestures. As a matter of fact, you may try to act in kindness and you'll always run the risk of absolutely looking foolish. And most of us don't want to look like fools. Y'all know all about that long day when I was, I was working. It was last summer. It was really, really hot. And I didn't have a shirt on in my own yard. People in my own yard, I didn't have a shirt on. But I decided to run to Franklin McDonald's. Remember that story? And, and, and get something to eat. I told myself I'd go through the drive through and nobody would see me. But as it turns out, there was some sort of Woodburn Baptist Church meeting there outside McDonald's. And everybody saw me and everybody made fun of me. Well, on the way home that day, still shirtless, still humiliated... I'm just trying to get home and get back in the privacy of my own backyard. I see a friend with his car broken down on the side of 31W. Same day, same day. I'm driving with no shirt on. Don't even try to picture it. No shirt on. I've already been called out and embarrassed by half the church, but I recognize my friend needs help. So what does kindness Require me to do. Stop. Yeah, I did. I did. Some of you went by and honked a horn. (laughs) I looked foolish. Some of you only see me on Sunday. You think I sleep in dress pants. You don't understand me. You you just don't know me. And so if you're driving down 31W in the middle of a summer day, and there's your pastor out there with with cut-off jeans with holes in them and no shirt, what are you thinking? That I must be drunk. (laughs) So I get out and I help this guy, and traffic picks up, and cars are going by, and church members are honking and waving, cars blowing by, my love handles are flapping in the breeze every time a car goes by, you understand? I look so foolish. But he's my friend, you understand? I I, I helped a friend. Kindness sometimes is going to require that you look foolish. It's, It's just the risk that goes with it. And understand one more thing. Kindness always runs the risk that you'll be taken advantage of. Kindness always involves the risk that people are going to take advantage of you. Because kindness tends to try to give what other people need. And there are needy people everywhere. And some of us will be in relationships where the needy person will just let you provide for day after day, week after week, month after month, maybe year after year. So once more, let's stop for a moment. Let's really talk about kindness. I think 20 years ago, I would have preached this in a way that was absolutely, absolutely unlivable. But I'm telling you, I really believe that love is a power in everyday relationships. So let's talk about everyday kindness. Let's talk about kindness in the kind of relationships that you and I actually have where people would take advantage of kindness. Now, honestly, I am not worried about being taken advantage of. That does not hurt me. 
I have kindness to give. And if you misunderstand or somehow resent or take advantage of my kindness, that doesn't take anything away from me. Do you understand that? I'm not worried about how you treat me. Love gives and doesn't expect anything back. Are you catching on to how this works? So I'm not really worried about being taken advantage of. I don't care. If you come to me and you say, Brother Tim, I need $5. If I have $5 in my pocket, I'll probably give it to you. You may go out and spend it on on bubble gum and beer. I don't know what you do, but honestly, once I give it to you, I'm good. I'm good. I give it out of kindness. And if you lie to me or if you use it on something I would never have wanted to pay for, honestly, you still haven't hurt me. You haven't hurt me. So I'm probably most always going to try to go on the side of kindness because love is kind. But there are limits to it. And let me say something very clearly about what kindness is like. Kindness always gives what's helpful. Why don't you write that down? Kindness always gives what is helpful and withholds what harms. Kindness gives what is helpful, but it withholds what harms. This is why sometimes, even though love is kind, love will sometimes say no. Sometimes love says no. Because sometimes what that person's asking you for, you honestly could give it. But if you give it, you know you're not helping. You may actually be harming the person. This is the kind of place that our benevolence committee often struggles with here at church because our church loves with the very love of God and we love to give and we love to help people in need. But honestly, there are people who will take advantage of that kindness and that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is when helping begins to hurt When giving people what they ask for is no longer helping them, but actually does them harm. And there are a lot of situations where giving people what they're asking for really is not love. It's cruel. It's cruel. And I'll just be very, very transparent with you. I have a tendency to do this. I have a tendency just to give what people ask. Because honestly, if I give you what you ask, I don't have to deal with you. Do you understand? If I do what you're asking, if you say, Brother Tim, can you help me with the electric bill? Sometimes I'll just write you the check. I may do it out of my own pocket and not the church's pocket. I do that sometimes because, honestly, to tell you no means I have to get involved with your life in a way that I don't feel like I have time or in a way that I honestly just am not willing to do. So understand, sometimes what we call kindness, sometimes giving people what they're asking for, it's not an act of love. It's a way of keeping them at a distance. You understand what I'm saying? If I say yes to everybody who asks of anything from me, lots and lots of times I'm just saying yes so that I don't have to deal with you if I say no. That's not kindness. That's not even love. Always saying yes is probably not love because sometimes to say yes is to do harm. If you make a person completely dependent upon you, you've not helped them. You've probably harmed them. So that person who comes back to the church month after month, sometimes week after week, asking for more and more money, do you understand? Our church could write those checks. We could write the checks, but we're not helping people when we do that. Kindness always gives what is helpful, but withholds what harms. 
Sometimes in love and in kindness, we're going to have to say no. You may have to say no. And to say no is going to bring you closer to that person, not necessarily in feelings, but in such a way where that relationship is going to have to be worked out. In such a way where you may have to really invest time and energy and love to truly help lift that person up. That's what kindness does. Just to say yes over and over and over is not always kind. I would say lots of times it's, it's cruel. Because you're not drawing closer to people. You're just finding an easy way to keep them at a distance. Love suffers long, the scripture says. And it's always kind. We're two words into this. Are you starting to to start catching on that love is costly? True love is, is, is costly. Costly. As a matter of fact, I would say anywhere you see genuine love, if you see a family where there's real love, if there's a marriage where there's genuine love, if there's a friendship where people truly love each other, you understand? Wherever you see true love, somebody gave, somebody sacrificed. Somebody had to give up the right to have their own way. Somebody had to give up the right to, to be mad and stay mad. Somebody had to give up a whole lot of their time. Somebody had to give up a part of their heart. Somebody had to risk getting hurt. Somebody had to give and give and give and never get anything back. Wherever you see true love, somebody sacrificed. In this House On this day, reading this book, we realize that true love comes only from God. And God himself has made the ultimate sacrifice in sending his son to die for us. In the same way, if you're going to follow that son, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to love like Jesus loves, you're going to have to learn to give too. You're going to have to find that power in everyday relationships, to give, not expect anything back. That, my friends, is what the Bible calls love. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We who come in on Sunday and pray long prayers and sing loud songs and say amen to warm thoughts and then walk out and reject your...